We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, hey folks, and welcome into the Hook'em Hoops podcast. Tommy Arsh alongside Jason Canander. And joining us today is the best dressed man in Austin, Texas, Mr. <laughs> Eric Henry of Horns 24-7. Eric, appreciate you coming on the pod, man. How you doing? Oh, man, Tommy, as always, you are way too kind. I'm not the best dressed man in Austin today. I'm off time. I'm here in a hoodie. But, you know, hey, at least the weather, it's it's hoodie weather. Maybe not to you two guys, because you guys are a pair of Chicagoland products. I know Jason repping the 630. But uh, for me, being a Floridian, yes, it, it is it is hoodie weather. So, um, you know, that, that's where we're here today. But happy to jump on with y'all. Glad y'all have me on. And like I said, always a, a pleasure to hop on with my guys here. Some guys from, uh, Two guys from Chicago, so near and dear to my heart. Yeah, not, not very cold to us at all, Eric. At least I, I can't speak for Jason, but it's not very cold to me. Uh, but nonetheless, appreciate you being here with us. And the opposite of cold, the Big 12 Conference is just on fire right now. I mean, left and right, upsets everywhere. Houston goes down. Kansas goes down. We'll get into all that later. We'll talk about, of course, Texas to start. One and one to start conference play. They had that ugly, I, th- I, I would call it ugly, loss against Texas Tech at home. And then they come back and win on the road in Cincinnati, a place where I'd have to check into the record books, but I don't remember them playing at Cincinnati in a very long time, if ever. So we'll start with that Texas Tech game. Like I said, just really ugly, in my opinion. It seems like they just haven't found an answer for Texas Tech in recent years, despite all the commotion or whatever you want to call what's going on in Lubbock. So Fellas, where where do you find that answer? Because if Graham McCaslin starts getting hot, I mean, Texas Tech can be, I think, can easily be back to where they were a couple of years ago when Chris Beard brought them to the Final Four. Jason, why don't you go ahead and lead off? Sounds good. I uh, I thought that loss to Texas Tech was terrible, Tommy. I mean, we previewed that game the day before, and I told you I thought Texas was going to win by double digits because you're right. They haven't been able to figure out Texas Tech, but I thought – you know, given all the off-the-court issues in Lubbock, all the noise surrounding that program, that Texas was actually going to have a fairly easy task in the Big 12 opener, and it was anything but. The crowd never got into the game. Texas Tech controlled the pace of the game. They led by double digits for most of the late second half, and it was just a game where Texas came out flat, you know, 
team after that game, some of the rhetoric surrounding the team after that game was, you know, this is a team that hasn't beat anybody. And they were right. And then Texas comes into Cincinnati and they win a huge road game in front of a raucous environment at fifth third arena. And so I don't know what to make of this Texas team. We kind of saw the two extremes in their first two games of conference play, a bad, bad performance where they just looked discombobulated defensively and they couldn't get shots to fall. No surprise of this year's team, but just nothing went right in the tech game. And then you see a game against Cincinnati where the two stars of the team, Max Acemas and Dylan DeSue, carried the Longhorns on their back to a win on the road in a must-win game in early January. So I don't really know what to make from this team. You know, we saw the two extremes. We're going to need a couple more games to kind of figure out, okay, which of those sides is this Texas team going to fall on? Eric, what do you think? Tommy and Jason, one of the things I do whenever I cover a game, no matter the sport, is I really enjoy getting there early because you can get a sense a feel for the mentality, the mindset of both teams. I got to Moody Center about two hours early for anyone watching or listening to this podcast may not know the configuration of the press room at Moody Center is right next to the visiting locker room. Those guys were pumped up from the moment they arrived there, even heading out to the court. It was just a noticeable, and I don't like to do, this, do the, you know, the psychoanalyze thing too much, but it was a noticeable difference in the energy between the tech guys hitting the court versus Texas. Now, I'm going to disagree with Jason a little bit, and maybe to uh, Tommy, to a uh, to a lesser extent, you as well. I think that was a little bit of a unique circumstance. Uh, you know, Jason hinted at it, the off-the-court circumstances with Pop Isaacs. When we spoke with Grant McCaslin post-game, I asked him, you know, hey, what did you make of your team's composure coming into here and having, you know, several players who were 50-year veterans, 60-year veterans, and then also the composure of your sophomore guard? He obviously didn't address Pop Isaacs, you know, directly, but he said over the past 48, 72 hours, we've really developed a closer bond, a closer love for this team. When they came off the floor following that game, they were yelling and chanting, this isn't an upset. This is an upset. It's only about us. We only care about us. I'm saying all that to say, guys, I think that's just a once, and I don't want to say once in a season type thing, but they had... You hate to call it something that they rally around because it's obviously a very serious situation. But inside of those walls, they rallied around, you know, hey, the things that were, were that that the program was dealing with and were able to go out there and play a game on the basketball court. I don't think that's something that's indicative of the Texas Tech team you're going to see throughout the season. Now, to both your guys, as far as Texas and coming out being flat, that could be part of it as well. Uh, I, I'm a you know, very strong believer that I think this bench has to come along. And Tommy, I know you'll talk about the, the Cincinnati game in a minute, so I won't you know dive too much into that. But uh, didn't get much produ production off the bench in Cincinnati game. Only got 11 bench points in the Texas Tech game compared to Texas Tech's 21 points. The bench is something that I think Rodney Terry and his staff are really going to have to address because you can't depend on, you know, Dylan Mitchell to have double doubles or Dylan DeSue to break out and have 30 point games. It's not a consistent recipe for, for success in a league that clearly is going to be a dogfight each night. But yeah, just in specificity to that Texas Tech game, I think that was a circum a product of the circumstances and maybe less so about, you know, that Texas Tech team maybe kind of rising up in, in the in the Big 12 standings. Yeah, Eric, and, and too, with that, you know, the, with that game being at home, you know, students at Texas still not back on campus. I think that in part kind of has an effect, but I'm with you where the psychoanalytics, you know, I don't believe that as much. But then you throw in, too, that I think this team just 
really has a problem defensively too. I, they they just can't seem to figure it out, I don't think, or it's on and off, and it's more off than it is on. Texas Tech shoots 52% from the field, 47% from three. You know, you mentioned having Dylan DeSue come out and score 30 points a game, not being a winning recipe for success. Neither is allowing your opponent to hit more than half their shots and almost half their shots from beyond the arc. So for me, that's where the biggest issue lies with this Texas team is figuring out a way to play better defense. You have to play good defense in the Big 12 if you want to win. I mean, that's just that's part of being in a conference this good and going up against top caliber teams every single time that you play. Like we mentioned the West Virginia game coming up, they might be five and ten. But they could come out and they have nothing to lose, right? So those are the most dangerous teams when they kind of have their backs to the wall and a lot to fight for. So my question now, I guess, to you guys is defensively, where does this team go from here? And how much do those lack of depth issues make it dif more difficult for this team to be able to guard up and down the floor? Tommy, here's the thing. They are who they are at this point, in my mind, defensively. I, I don't think there's much room for them to grow when you just take a look at the makeup and the construction of the roster. Let's start, right? Ma Max Acemas, obviously the nation's active leading scorer. I think he just uh, crossed into fifth all-time, if memory serves me correct, in three-pointers made in, in the history of college basketball. Certainly a prolific scorer. He is what he is defensively. God bless him. You know, he's given effort, but he's a diminutive guard who's probably six foot, you know, in sneakers, Right. I think the, the key in my mind is Tyrese Hunter because Tyrese is a solid defender, but for the construction of this roster to work, they need him to be arguably one of the top defensive guards in, in the big 12. In my mind, you take a look at Dylan Mitchell. He's obviously improves the defender. Caden Shedrick, when he's been on the floor, I think you take a look at the advanced analytics, uh, the top rated defenders in terms of defensive rating should be Caden Shedrick and Dylan Mitchell. So those guys, you know what Brock Cunningham is, is going to give you, but it's that perimeter defense because when you take a look at the guards, Past Max and Tyrese, it's IT Horton, a player who I'm very familiar with, played at Milo Mater Central Florida last year and, and prior to that at Pitt and at Delaware. But again, Tommy and Jason, he is who he is. You take a look at his advanced numbers. The 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 thing with a guy like IT is his offense has always been good enough to where you offset the defensive deficiencies. He's a guy who's going to shoot the three ball well, shoots over 40% in his career, and is averaging about 10, 11 points his career at each stop. But if he's not getting consistent minutes, it feels as if, I mean, for a guy who, who is scoring double digits for his career, the last two games, he's taken two shots and, and, made, no, and made none of them. I mean, if, you're, if that's what you're going to get from IT Horton, then Texas is in trouble. So in my mind, especially the perimeter defense where they're struggling, it can't all be Kendall Weaver throwing, you know, effort and energy and whatnot out. They've got to somehow find, you know, an elevated level of defense from the guards. But again, Jason, they kind of are who they are. I don't see, you know, a magic pill or even the potential for this group to rise even more because they're kind of playing who they've been. You know, to the defensive point in a minute, I want to expand on your Ithiel Horton point. You're completely right about this team kind of goes as he goes, you know, in terms of his production off the bench. He is their go-to bench scorer, 
in three of the last six games, Ithiel Horton hasn't scored a point. And in Texas's three losses, Ithiel Horton has scored 11 combined points, which is good for just over three points per game in those losses. So completely agree. Texas is going to need to see more out of him, especially given the, some of the limitations of the guard play defensively. Ithiel Horton, he's six foot five. I mean, he's the biggest guard on this Texas team. And so he also needs to step up to the plate defensively. But to that defensive point, I agree with you as well, Eric. They are what they are. Like last year I remember and it's crazy that this is you know over a year ago now that Rodney Terry became the Texas head coach but back when Chris Beard was running the ship they used to always talk about in the post-game press conferences you know that the goal was to hold opponent under 60 points this is a Texas team that is not going to hold anyone to under 60 points maybe ever in big 12 conference play I mean maybe they'll hold Oklahoma State to under 60 points when they come to the Moody Center but other than that you know this is a team that is going to need to find the capability within themselves to win some shootouts. And I think that that's really what it comes down to is like Dylan DeSue, I guess, is their go-to score right now. You know, that's what they had down the, down the stretch in March. They won games on his back that way. You know, he's not like this like ball dominant player. Like he can score at all three levels, but like he, when you think of like a lead scorer, you don't necessarily think of Dylan DeSue. I like him a lot more as a complimentary piece. I want to say, you know, between the defensive effort and some of the big shots that he has hit, I think that Max Aspis's impact on this year's team has been a little understated because you look at all of the big-time mid-major transfers who have come along to the big conference teams, and almost all of them, not only has their production been cut so much, but their role has been diminished. And you look at someone like Max Aspis, he spent four years at Oral Roberts as the top scorer in the sport. And now he's at Texas. He's facing much tougher competition. Well, now he is not necessarily in not conference play, but uh, you know, now he's facing tougher competition, playing in bigger games and he's hitting these big shots. You know, if Texas loses that Louisville game, they lose the Cincinnati game. This is a team that's way out of the tournament picture right now. It's early, but way out of the tournament picture. And so Max Asmus is, you know, the big shots that he's hit and his leadership and just his presence, like he's really saved this Texas team at times this year. And it, you know, it makes me curious because, and Eric, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this in a moment as well with the UCF game coming up, your alma mater. They have two games that they should win, West Virginia and UCF. After that, they have an absolute gauntlet. So for Tommy and Eric, how can they use this Cincinnati win? And this, you know, is a little bit of an opportunity to talk more about the Cincinnati win. How can they use the momentum of winning a close game on the road, first conference win, before this really tough stretch of games that right now on paper they don't look up to the task for? Tommy, I'll take that really quick for you, you jump in. I thought the win over Cincy, not to overstate it, but I thought it really saved the season. I think Jason hit on it a bit. You know, not only would they have been on the outside looking in, but just the way the schedule sets up, they go to Morgantown, which, yes, we'll talk about in a minute, bit of a trap game, but one that they should win. And then they welcome UCF, who, who would know two days ago that, you know, they would end up knocking off number three, Kansas. If they lose that Cincy game, that's negative energy, negative momentum going into two games that are very much toss-ups. And then the schedule, as Jason said, doesn't get any easier with that gauntlet. So in my mind, it was such a crucial, crucial win to get that one in Cincy. How can they channel that? I mean, hopefully, you know, if Caden Shedrick gets healthy with the back spasms and they can carry that into, you know, a two-game road uh, a winning streak, uh, um, 
against West Virginia and against Cincy and then come home and we'll see what happens against UCF. In my mind, they got to get all three, Tommy. I think it's crucial that they get all three of these Big 12 games or at least the remaining two for the, as we talked about, they get into, you know, a really tough stretch of their schedule. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you, Eric. Uh, and I don't think it's overstating at all that this win saved Texas's season. I think you could say that Dylan DeSue saved Texas's season. I mean, a couple, a couple episodes ago, Jason, I remember I told you, I was like, man, if, if Texas wants to win in the Big 12, Dylan DeSue is going to have to get ramped up at some point. I understand, you know, not wanting to risk further injury and obviously his career and health comes first. But if we're looking at this from a winning perspective, his minutes are going to have to increase if the Longhorns want to win. What happens? I don't know. If, I don't know if Rodney Terry listens to us. I sure hope he does. And I would like to think that if he does, that my saying that had a little bit of part to do with it, which it absolutely didn't. But nonetheless, he's going to have to be on the floor for what was it against Cincinnati? I think 30, 31 minutes, 34 to, minutes, 34 minutes. Yeah. So if he has that kind of impact and he's on the floor that long, Texas is going to have a lot better chance in these games that are maybe toss-ups or when they go on the road and start this gauntlet, you know, they got like, like you guys mentioned, Baylor, Oklahoma, BYU, Houston, TCU, and Iowa state all straight. I mean, that's just brutal. So these upcoming two games, I think kind of set the table for what we can expect going into that tough slate, because if this is a game where, you know, they lose a heartbreaker at home to UCF, they've got to come back three days later at home against Baylor. And that's no easy task. Scott Drew, I've, I've talked a lot about him and how much I think he's one of the better coaches in college basketball. It's a really good team over there. Jacoby Walters playing really well. So Jason, you mentioned at the, at the top of the podcast that we don't know what we're getting out of this Texas team on a night-to-night -night basis. But I think these next two games give us a little bit more of an idea of what to expect from this Texas team. And quite frankly, I think it's two games that the Longhorns should be favored in. And I would pick them to win both games if we're talking right now, just because West Virginia has struggled so much with the smorgasbord of happenings in Morgantown. And UCF, you know, yes, they beat Kansas, but – can they come down from that high and continue to play good basketball going forward? So that's kind of where, where I look at it with, with that going forward. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th and running through Monday, February 12th the morning after Super Bowl 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You'll receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. 
When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops, odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field 158. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know what? I think they need to win these two games. That kind of goes without saying. But this is a Texas team that needs a big win because right now they're only like they're only big win. Like they played some close ones in non-conference play, but they're only big win against like an opponent that people actually like somewhat care about was LSU. Like that was the only Tommy. That was the only game like where we recapped and like we felt really good about it. Uh, before the Cincinnati game. Like, that was the only one, like, where we just had a list of good things to talk about. Like, they need to go into Morgantown and win that game by double digits. I mean, yeah, it's a tough environment. Yeah, it's a West Virginia team. It's 5-10, and 0-2 in conference play. They're hungry. But, like, on paper, th- this is a game where Dylan DeSue, not necessarily a repeat performance of 33-6, and but he'll, he'll score 20-plus if Texas wins because this is a West Virginia team that cannot defend – and they have the worst big man situation in the conference. And it's a team that it's a team that can't defend. Like Max Aceman should fill it up against Kirk Risa and Desu, if Shedrick comes back, like those guys should should really fill it up. Like that's the game that they need to win by a lot. And then you have UCF coming into the Moody Center. Tommy, we talked about this our last episode. Like that'll be the first game with the student section back, schools back in session at UT. Like that'll be like the real home environment. Um, I think that that'll be a nice bounce back game. Like the only two games they've ever lost at the Moody Center are both over winter break. Like, I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think that they should be able to rebound. But then you have that super tough stretch of games. Like what I wonder, and I want to hear Eric and Tommy, your thoughts on this. Like there are two givens at this point of the season on this Texas team. I feel like if Dylan DeSue's healthy, it's a given that he's going to really fill it up every night. And Max Aismas, like he has some bad shooting nights and his floor still seems to be 15 points. And so who is going to be that third guy, Eric? I know you've mentioned Tyrese Hunter. I'm pretty high on Caden Shedrick. Tommy, I'm interested to hear who you think as well. But let's start with Eric. If Texas is going to have to have a third man emerge because this conference is so loaded with talent, every game's a big game, who's it going to be and how are they going to emerge as that third option, third key to success for Texas to win games that they shouldn't? 
Yeah, Jason, real quick before I, I touch on that point, I'll just kind of put a cap on the West Virginia deal as we talk about, you know, they got Raekwon Battle back, who's a victim of the two-time transfer rule. We'll see he's certainly someone who can fill it up. So take a look and, and see what happens there at West Virginia. They got to get that win. And then with Central Florida coming in, Again, really interesting. Uh, there are two guys in Jalen Sellers, Darius Johnson. They have a big man in Diallo, who you may have seen last night. I uh, believe is the leading shot blocker in the Big 12. And, and the reason I only mention him is because size has given Texas trouble this year. We saw it against Cincy, saw it against Texas Tech. So that'll be something to uh, really keep an eye on there. But again, we talked about both those games should be winning. I mean, UCF is a team that lost to Stetson earlier this year. So, you know, and for audience members, maybe I know Stetson is a, a Division two team uh, in Florida. So take that for what it's worth. As far as um, your question, Jason, in terms of this lineup, something I'm really interested in, guys, is what do you do with Dassault, right? Dassou, is he coming off the bench? Dassault talked about being on that minutes restriction, you know, and kind of hovering around that 20 to 25 minute mark in his first five games. Obviously, when Shedrick, um, you know, had the back spasms in shoot around, that forced him to line up and just maybe out of happenstance, it wasn't a, a plan, but, you know, out of necessity, he played the 34 minutes. Do we take the handcuffs off, take the, the shackles off and say, all right, we're going to get him 30 plus, And then B, do we make a move in the starting lineup? I, I, I would be in favor of, in my mind, I think the movie slide brought Cunningham out and put, put uh, Dylan DeSue in, right? I think that's the move. Just I just can't see Hayden Shedrick, uh, A, I, I, I don't think he leaves Virginia to come here and be a bench guy. B, I don't think he's as effective um, off the bench. The only thing I would say there is, guys, we've had there's the Marquette game and two others, um, Texas Tech as well. And I'm trying to remember what the third one was where Caden had, what, less than eight, nine shots against Marquette. He went one of four against Texas Tech, one of seven. As a big, he can't get himself the ball. You know, he's not just Sue. He's not someone who's going to stretch, uh, you know, the, the opposing team's defense, right? So, got to find a way to get him touches but in this stretch yeah jason i think you made a really astute point in that they're not really going to stop anybody the, the level of defensive play isn't going to rise so they're going to find their offensive efficiency last but not least you talk about max ace one of the things i've really been impressed with max in the early going you know there were some games where his shooting percentage just looked rough you know the first three four five games of the year but since then like you talked about and rt says this too He's going to get his numbers. He's going to hit his averages, right? So if he's averaging 17, he's going to find a way to get 17. Hey, can he, you know, explode for more? Possibly. But I, I've been impressed. And Tommy, I, you know, want your opinion on this too, in addition to the things we touched on. For a smaller guard, Max gets his spots. He's not had trouble finding his spots. And I think that was the thing that I was really curious entering the year is now playing against Big 12 competition night in, night out. Is he got to sell for threes? What's going to be like with the dribble drive? But he's finding his spots. And I think that goes to the craftiness of him as a player, Tommy. No, he is. But I have to go back to your point about the starting lineup. I don't think I could agree more that Brock Cunningham has no business being in the starting lineup. I apologize, Texas fans, if that hurts your feelings. I know he's the glue guy and everybody loves him, but... He has no business being there. I mean, you look at the Cincinnati game. He played 20 minutes. He shot the ball one time, and he scored two points. But the, the one shot didn't even go in. He scored on free throws. So, you know, he, he's given you five boards, four assists, two fouls. The game against Texas Tech, I think he shot the ball a couple times, still had no points, and then just fouled out. I mean, that's just not quality minutes. And if those minutes go to someone like a Caden Shedrick when he gets healthy, I think this team gets better. Brock Cunningham's role on this team has been to come in, knock down threes, and play good defense. He's struggled to do both of those things this year. So if anything, I think he's holding back Texas 
it all, I'm not saying Brock Cunningham's the only reason why Texas lost games this year and things like that, but I, I just don't, I, I don't see it anymore, guys. I really don't. I don't, I don't see what the importance of giving him valuable minutes like that is when you've got plenty of guys who are more talented on the bench. I understand the experience. I understand that he's been a career, a very good career shooter from three, but if he's not giving you that, then why is he getting the opportunities out there and taking minutes away from younger guys or guys who have lost their confidence and need to build it back like an IT Horton, or maybe you give a younger guy like Chris Johnson a shot off the bench. So I just had to make, I had to make that point because I completely agree with you there, Eric. Um, as far as your Max Aceman's point, I think it's a little bit of, you know, Aceman has done a really good job of finding his spots and he's gotten there, but even when he's not able to find his shot and he gets a good defender put on him and a, you know, a good shot contest, he's still made a high percentage of those shots just because he's that good of a shooter. I mean, you, you look at the clutch shot against Cincinnati, you look at the clutch shot against Louisville, you know, I, I would say he gets to his spot, but those are two fairly well contested shots. Cause you know, the ball's going his way. The fact that he's been able to score as good as he has knowing that, or at least opposing defenses know that he's one of, if not the primary score for Texas has been, I think very impressive. And you, there were a lot of questions coming into the season about his jump from Oral Roberts. You know, would we see the same level of production? And he shut all of those answers down after a slow start to the season. So if he continues to play well, and there are going to be nights in Big 12 play guys where he's just got his rhythm and he's going off. He could have 30, maybe even 40 points on any given night. And if that's a night where they're playing, you know, maybe a Kansas or a Baylor or, you know, somebody who is who's ranked high and it would look good in their in their resume for the tournament this could very easily be a team that gets a couple of convincing victories and slides their way into march madness tommy really there. quick jump on your, your brock cunningham point hey, hey, here's the thing with brock right and i don't disagree with anything you're saying there's some guys who if you increase their usage right their, their numbers will grow and some guys if you increase their usage it's clear that they're playing out of their role i think brock cunningham falls in the ladder of that, right? Because as you said, all of his numbers are down compared to last year. Field goal percentage, three-point percentage. The only thing is he's playing, if, if memory serves me correct, I want to say about six, seven uh, and a half more minutes than he was last year. Last year, I know he was about 18.8 minutes per game. I think he's right around the 26, 27 minute mark this year. So that's the big thing, right? Now, was that uh, necessi necessitated by injury to DeSue and Shedrick? We'll see. But yeah, I mean, I can't agree with you more. You know, if you it, Brock's usage and probably his his, uh, his um, effectiveness will probably go up if you keep him right around that twenty minute mark. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm going to have to agree with, with the two of you on that. The effectiveness has been way down. Like, you know, you think about what Brock Cunningham's role was on last year's team. Like, that was a team that could have scored from anywhere. I mean, they had, at any given time, there were three great scoring threats on the court, whether it be Marcus Carr, Serge Jabari Rice, Timmy Allen, you know, Dylan DeSue down the stretch. So Brock, you know, you're right, Eric, it wasn't necessitated. And he is playing a little bit out of his role. But the other thing for me is like, 
yeah, I think that we've seen peak Brock Cunningham. It was probably around this time last year. And, you know, him galvanizing the team, kind of being such a big leader, getting him through the Chris Beard situation, playing some of his best basketball. Like, you know, he's 24 years old. He's in his sixth year on campus. Like, we've seen what we're going to get out of Brock Cunningham. I agree that that's the move that needs to be made to the starting lineup. Like, if you have Dylan DeSue and Caden Shedrick in the starting five and you're playing Dylan Mitchell at the three, first of all, you have the best rebounding small forward in the conference. And then second of all, you're going to have a size advantage on nine out of ten teams that you play. And Shedrick claims he can shoot from anywhere. I mean, the jury's still out on that. He hasn't really played enough, been healthy enough for us to be able to, you know, rightfully say if he can or can't. Dylan DeSue can shoot from anywhere. You know, he's hitting NBA range three-pointers. So that fixes the offensive issues. Like, this is a Texas team that's just not a great shooting team. So if you have four guys on the floor who can hypothetically shoot from anywhere, and then the fifth guy is Dylan Mitchell who's flying all over the court making plays on offense and defense, like, that's the best starting five that you could possibly have. And so I agree with that. My last point is on, you know, on the Texas team, because I want us to talk a little bit about the Big 12. It's been a crazy week, and every week's going to be like this. But given that it's the first week, we just have to talk about it. I think that, you know, it goes without saying Texas needs to win these next two games. It's a Texas team that does not have the resume to afford a bad loss. Like, for example, Miami, who was 13-2 and two going into last night, they had a good win on the season. I'm, I'm, it's kind of beating me who they, who they beat convincingly about a month ago. Um, but they lost to Louisville at home last night. And that's a loss that put them all the way out of the NCAA tournament bubble which is crazy to think about. Texas can't afford a loss to West Virginia or UCF. It's only January. But, guys, the bubble is super crowded with the transfer portal and NIL. Every power conference team except for one or two in each conference is a tournament contender this year. And so Texas needs to win these easy kind of give them games against West Virginia, against UCF. You know, I think the Texas is going to need to see what they have in Shedrick. They're going to need to move him into the starting lineup. You're going to need Ifiel Horton to step up. I want to see more minutes for Kendall Weaver, Zara Gunyama. We saw them kind of get into a groove in non-conference play, and now their roles have diminished a little bit. I understand that they're younger. I understand that they're getting up to power conference speed. But still, you know, those are two talented players who played impactful, you know, winning basketball. So what I want to ask you guys about, though, turning over a little bit, we talked at the start of the show about how, you know, number two team in the country, Houston goes to Hilton, they lose to Iowa State. Number three team in the country goes to Orlando. They lose to UCF. I want to preface this by saying that on after dark last night, Jeff Goodman talked about how he thinks that this isn't a national championship contending Kansas team or a Kansas team that is capable of winning the national championship. I completely agree with that. And with that being said, I don't think Kansas is the team to beat in the Big 12. Who do you guys think the team to beat is in the Big 12 through the first two conference games where – at a quick look at the standings, three teams are two and zero. Eric, you go ahead on this one. I'm curious oh, to hear God. your thoughts. <laughs> oh, UCF. Well, yeah, it, it's it's not it's not going to be the Knights. I will say this. Um, I, I I think of my old good pal Kelvin Sampson, and, and maybe only Tommy will get that reference. Um, and Tommy may not get there. <laughs> yeah, Tommy. Uh, oh, I get it. <laughs> my my old pal Kelvin Sampson, uh, Jason. Tommy can fill you in after the show. Um, I I still think they they I don't want to say they're in the driver's seat, but if you ask me right now to ask me who I felt was the strongest team, just based on you know kind of um, what I've seen so far, I probably would say Houston. I, I will say this. 
Hunter Dickinson, that that always felt like kind of an odd, not an odd, because I mean, you understood, you understood how he ended up in Kansas. It felt like an odd fit to me from from the start, anyhow. Um, and I think, I think there's still room for Kansas to grow. I'm really interested to see, you know, Baylor. Um, again, they got you know the talented freshman, and and we'll see what happens there. But yeah, right now, I I, I still think if we're just talking strictly in terms of the league, this is still in my mind a a Kansas. Houston league I mean maybe you can take a look at Oklahoma and we'll see you know they haven't Oklahoma's a team that I feel I feel more along the lines of like they can be beat on any night just like anyone else in the big 12 I, I think Houston and Kansas for the most part are, are probably gonna be steady all the way through Tommy yeah I, I would agree with Houston but just to differentiate a little bit I'll say Baylor I mean this is a team where you know if they if they're hot on a night then it's going to be hard to find a team in the country that can beat them um, I've talked a lot about how I really like Scott Drew. I love Jacoby Walter. I think he is, I think, a runaway favorite for Big 12 freshman of the year. I'm trying to rack my mind and think if there's someone else who would contest that, maybe Missy, but that's another guy on his own team. So, you know, that, that those two guys having such a big impact for Scott Drew this early tells me a lot about how good they are as players. And then you just look at the rest of the roster overall, and it's just really well constructed. I think Scott Drew, like I said, is one of the best minds in college basketball. He's been one of the best coaches for a very long time. He's had the experience. He's won the national championship. So he's seen it all. And in a very loaded year for this Big 12 conference, it's, it's one of those guys who just doesn't shake. And he knows that he's back in it. And he knows that he's going to have to compete every night. So when you have that understanding and when you have the talent like that, I think you're dangerous on any given night. So I, I really like Baylor a lot in this conference. And I think they're certainly up there in one of those, in that top tier of teams, you know, that you really, really, really don't want to play on, on, a, on a given night in the big 12. I want to double down on my Kansas point um, for a moment here, Eric, you brought up a great point. I thought that the Hunter Dickinson fit was always a little weird and not necessarily just because like, you know, that's not, that's not like the type of player that Kansas loves to have, like very outspoken, you know, like it's just not the type of guy that, that I feel like they usually have, but a bill self team is typically, you know, you have a point guard who can distribute guards who can shoot, you know, score at any level. And then the big is usually like a, a, a defensive first big. Like you think of some of those teams, like Yudoka Azubuki is a perfect example of that. Like the Bill self teams were at their best when he was playing down low. And Dave, you think about David McCormick in the national championship in 2022, like he's the reason why they made that run was because the defensive ball he was playing affecting, you know, winning basketball on both sides of the floor. So I, I just think it's a Kansas team that's constructed weird. I think that, you know, that that game against TCU, I'm going to talk about this in a second. Uh, I don't think that was a fluke. Like, they've played close at Allen Fieldhouse this year, and I think that it's because it's a lacking Kansas team. It's not because the Allen Fieldhouse advantages went down at all. It's because it's a Kansas team that's just not as talented and not as deep as, you know, typical Kansas teams. They really struck out this offseason with the exception of Dickinson. Nick Timberlake ended up not being a good addition. Johnny Furphy hasn't developed how they thought he would. El Marco Jackson barely played against TCU. Like, it's a weirdly constructed Kansas team with not a whole lot of scoring options or depth. With that said, I think the team to beat is Houston. Going to have to agree with Eric. I also agree with Tommy in the sense that Baylor can go on a run. They have veterans. They have great young players. Like Scott Drew just finds guys every year. Eve Missy and Jacoby Walter are probably the two best freshmen in the conference. Like 
Those were two guys that Texas also recruited. Scott Drew got them, and now he's developed them into winning basketball players as teenagers. Crazy stuff. I will never count out Baylor in this conference. Two teams that I think the Texas fans should be aware of. One, the TCU Horn Frogs. They went into Allen Fieldhouse. They should have beat Kansas. Kansas got bailed out on a bad flagrant foul call. And then TCU just beat the brakes off of Oklahoma last night. And this is a Horned Frogs team that is veteran-laden. Almost every player on the team started at a different college, starred at a different college as well. Like, you have guys who have been great players at other schools and have just settled into their roles. Emmanuel Miller is one of the best players in the conference. In fact, in the past month, he's played like one of the best players in the country. Travion Tennyson, the AM Corpus Christi transfer, had 25 points in Allen Fieldhouse. Like, if TCU is going to have contributions like that from guys coming off the bench in their big games, that's a team that's going to be in every single game. And then another team that we have to mention is the Iowa State Cyclones, beating Houston at Hilton Coliseum. It's a very interestingly constructed team. You know, I like what Taman Lipsy offers at the point guard position. He's not going to shoot the lights out, but he does everything else well. Tommy, you mentioned that Jacoby Walter is probably going to be freshman of the year. The only other guy other than him and Eve Missy that is in the conversation is Milan Momsilovich, the forward at Iowa State, who hit the go-ahead shot against Houston. If he stays for another year, he's going to be an all-league, all-country, all, you know, all-American type of player next year. So the talent in this conference is just unbelievable. We've said time and time again on this show that – you know, every game is a must-win game. Every game is a competitive game. So with that said, we have two games coming up for Texas that are should-win games. We thought that the the Tech game was probably going to be a win. They were six-and-a-half-point favorites, and then they didn't win. And then they go on the road. They beat Cincinnati. What do you guys think for the next two games? What what What's our prediction? Morgantown back in Austin next Wednesday. 0-2, 1-1, 2-0. What does Texas, you know, come out of those games looking like? And if they win both games, one, you know, how do they win those games? I want to hear a little prediction. Tommy, why don't you go and take that first? Okay. Uh, you know, I'm going to go on a limb and say 2-0. I think that those, these are these are two teams that are beatable. The game that worries me more is UCF just because they're, like I said, they're right on that high. But can they stay on that and not, you know, jump down to a cataclysmic low immediately afterwards and then lose just a really ugly game? Um, you know, as, as far as West Virginia goes, any Big 12 road game is going to be super hard to win. Um, and I don't know if West Virginia students are back on campus or not. I would assume they are. I think most of the country is. But that home environment is going to be big. They're looking for a win. You know, like I, I talked about earlier, their backs are against the wall. They're in wounded animal mode. So, you know, they have nothing to lose. So a, a, a game against Texas, they're going to give it everything they have. And if Texas doesn't show up playing their best, then it's going to be very difficult to win. And you can say that for any road game this season, I think, for the Longhorns. But I still think that's a winnable game. Jason, you mentioned the size advantage. I think that plays into it really. Uh, that's a really big part in this game. And then as far as UCF goes, I think the stat line that, that Jason mentioned before is perfect. They've only lost two games at the Moody Center, and both of those times was during a break. Well, students are back next Wednesday, so I, I know it's going to be loud in there. I know it's going to be a great home court environment like the Moody Center has proven to be the last two seasons. So I, I think I think two wins for the Longhorns here going into a just, you know, I think Brutal still might be selling short how tough this this stretches for Texas going into the end of the season. You know, you look at it, it's it's three top 15 teams. TCU probably should be ranked here pretty soon. 
and two top 10 teams. I mean, that's just, and then, okay. Then you've got Iowa state, another team that should probably be ranked. And then West Virginia, again, just before you get into Houston, Kansas state, Kansas, Texas tech, again, Baylor, Oklahoma, it, it's just brutal. Yeah, Tommy. I mean, first of all, I'll get to the point. I think Texas goes 2-0. Um, you know, just get that out there first and foremost. The West Virginia games we've talked about, again, I'm getting rape on battle, so I'm going to fill it up. But I, I think the Cincinnati game just showed a measure of resolve uh, about this team. That's key, right? You know, th there were times, especially in that second half, they could have folded. They, they could have found ways. I mean, there was even the, the stretch there, I think, with just, it might have been 59 seconds left that, you know, since he went up uh, and Texas had to come back and win that game, getting the two shots, the, the first, the shot from Dylan the and then the game went from Max Aceman. So again, the uh, the resolve there, I, I think is huge. The UCF game, as I talked about, kind of in my assessment of them, really intrigued to see uh, Diallo inside just as a defensive presence, because I, I am wondering, you know, if guards like Hunter and Max Aceman, and even a Kendall Weaver, if they're kind of kind of dribble drive, you know, how, how those shots may be affected by having a, a big seven foot presence down there. But uh, especially, you know, UCF's guard play with Darius Johnson. He's someone who is dangerous, but I do think um, in terms of a size, and that's another thing in my mind, you know, Tyrese being 6'2", you got a pair of guards who aren't the biggest, um, at least size wise, that matchup bolts well for Texas with Darius Johnson. It was about 6'1 or so, uh, if memory serves me correct. So I do see Texas winning both of those games. And as we stated in the open, it's games they have to win before they get into the heart of their Big 12 schedule. Yeah, and I'll finish this off by, you know, three's a crowd. I'll say that Texas is going to go 2 0. But I want to preface this by saying I was ultra confident about this team for no reason. A week ago, Tommy, when we previewed this Tech game, I am very weary about this game in Morgantown this weekend. Texas doesn't usually play well in Morgantown. Games always go down to the wire. It's one of the best home court advantages in the in the conference. You know, Eric, you keep mentioning Raekwon Battle. I don't know who's going to guard Raekwon Battle on Saturday. You know, is it going to be Tyrese Hunter? Is it going to be Dylan Mitchell? It's not going to be Ace Miss. Obviously, he'll be on Kirk Creesa. You know, Texas is probably going to have to switch a lot with, with Raekwon Battle. They're going to have a big size advantage, maybe push him into the paint, force some tough shots. Uh, that's a guy who can fill it up. He's averaging over 20 points per game in his first couple of games this year. He's going to have a big game on Saturday. He will get his points. And uh, I have a feeling that that's going to be a close game. I don't know if that's a hot take. You know, West Virginia's 5-10. and 10, But for a Texas team that just won their first true road game of the year, to come into a tough environment against a hungry team. I think that one will be close. And then against UCF, yeah, I'm interested to see how the bigs look against Ibrahim Diallo. He's averaging over two blocks per game, leads the conference. It's a UCF team that's, you know, uniquely constructed. J Justin Sellers was a guy that Texas was – or Jalen Sellers, guy that Texas was very interested in uh, in the portal as a transfer this offseason. And uh, he went to UCF, and now he leads the team in scoring. And so we'll see how Texas looks against them. I'm going to go with 2-0. and Hope you hope that they win the UCF game convincingly because they do need a convincing win in conference play. After that game, guys, they have four consecutive ranked opponents to finish the month. And if Iowa State and TCU are ranked as they probably should be after this week, it will be six consecutive ranked opponents until the next time they play UCF. Pretty crazy, that stretch of games that Texas is about to go on. So, guys, they're going to need to get right. That's all for me. I don't know if anybody else has anything else that they want to add before we go. Um, the, 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 last thing, the last thing that I'll kind of add is, you know, Eric and I were kind of talking about this earlier. If, if IT Horton becomes 
a deal where, you know, he's just completely lost his confidence and isn't going to contribute. I think you need to give a young gun a shot, like a guy like Chris Johnson. And I know I'm somewhat biased because I've known Chris for a while and I've seen him play plenty, but the talent is there. I mean, he 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 can do everything that he that he needs to be asked to do. I think he he'll develop a little bit more as a shooter as time goes on. But if you need an athletic guard who can play solid defense and run you up and down the floor really well, he attacks the basket very well, and you know he's a very aggressive player. If that's what you need, then you got to give him a shot. In my opinion, I think that's why you brought him here. You know, uh, from Kansas, he ended up flipping or I think he got out of his uh LOI and then came came to Texas but um I mean if you've got the if you've got the weaponry there and someone's not working out for you, you you might as well try it you know this is a Texas bench that hasn't been able to provide much so why not give give someone like that a chance and you know it could be the solution that this team is looking for now Tom I just was going to say it, not too much more to add there I just think it's be interesting to see these next two games Again, really going to define Texas' season as they head into the Big 12 stretch. Completely agree with that, guys. Agree with you, Tommy, as well. I'd like to see a little more Chris Johnson because he is one of like you know one of the players on the team with a little bit more of a pedigree coming from Montverde, former Kansas commit. If if Phil Horton's shots aren't falling, Brock Cunningham isn't producing. You know, I know he's a forward, but let's get some fresh faces on the court, even for a Texas team that lacks some depth. Guys, that'll be all for today's episode. Big thank you to Eric Henry for joining us. If you want to follow his content at 24-7 Sports, you could follow him on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. Tommy, it is a pleasure, as it was a pleasure as always, talking about Texas hoops with you. Hope you continue to enjoy your time in Houston. See you back in Austin next week. Guys. Long season, great talking hoops with you guys. Big 12 is loaded. Texas needs to win some games. See y'all soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.